welcome to Champagne and Murder, please. How are you guys doing? For me, it's Thursday night, and there is less than 24 hours until my sister and I go and see Spencer and Madison at Thalia Hall. I'm super, super excited about that. And if you guys don't listen to Obituary, you should really check it out. It's really fun. They make everything great, even though they're talking about obituaries. But it seriously, just take a listen. You guys will like it. But anyway, I have a short story for you guys today. And it'll just be me because Mark is busy and that's okay. It's summertime. I get it. He's a busy guy and he likes to do all of his hobbies and it's all right. It's all good. And tonight we are drinking a Moet Chandon Nectar Imperial Rosé Champagne. So if you guys want to go ahead and try that one out. And also I have my trusty Truly by my side. Can't can't have an episode without that. I know it's not a champagne, but it bubbles, it sparkles, it's fine. Hopefully next week um, it will be more than just me, but we'll see. We'll see who I can get to uh, to join me. Um, like I said, the story that I have for you today is short. Um, it's not going to take up too much of your time, so I appreciate you listening. And let's just get into it. So the story that I have for you today is about Ira Einhorn. So Ira Samuel Einhorn was born May 15, 1940, into a middle-class Jewish family in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He received his undergraduate degree in English in 1961 at the University of Pennsylvania. He returned to complete some graduate work in the discipline in 1963 he became active in some ecological groups and was part of the counterculture and anti-establishment, anti-war movements of the 60s and 70s. Einhorn was a speaker at the first Earth Day event in, in Philadelphia in 1970, and later he claimed he was instrumental in creating and launching the event, but that claim is disputed by the event's organizers. So I think he thought very highly of himself in that regard. But it wasn't to be. So in 1964 and 1965, he served as an English instructor at Temple University, but his contract was not renewed after he conceded his, quote, contempt for the academic world and boasted of proffering, quote, straight answers about the delights and dangers of cannabis and LSD to students in an interview. <laughs> Probably not a good thing to talk about during an interview, but, you know. It was what it was. He was also a resident fellow at the Harvard Institute of Politics during the autumn of 1978 semester. And in the 1970s, Einhorn was seen as a hippie guru and was known in his hometown as one of the loudest voices in the counterculture and environmental movements of the day. Einhorn was no stranger to drugs and launched a rescue service for people who were experiencing bad trips and he taught a series of free courses around the LSD experience, which doesn't sound too bad. I mean, sounds like he was trying to be helpful. According to the New York Times, the Village Voice called Einhorn, quote, indisputably Philadelphia's head hippie and the city's, quote, number one freak. But of those nicknames, the one that stuck was the one that he gave himself, which was Unicorn which he chose because his German last name roughly translates to one horn. 
Einhorn claimed to have founded Earth Day, but most other sources credit Gaylord Nelson, a Wisconsin senator at the time, as the one who actually started the holiday by suggesting that all Americans set aside April 22nd as a day to discuss environmental issues. As for his claim about being instrumental in creating and launching the event is, according to Philly Magazine, he had no role in actually organizing the event, and in fact, the rally's organizers said Einhorn disrupted meetings and alienated everyone involved, and that on the day of the event, all he did was hog the podium for 30 minutes and refused to get off the stage after his speech. So he sounds like he's kind of an ass. Boasting a monumental ego, Einhorn was domineering with women and sometimes became violent if they rejected him. Time reports that two of his former girlfriends ended up in the hospital after they had tried to break up with him, one of whom he hit over the head with a Coke bottle and one he strangled. Sounds like a delightful man. In 1972, Einhorn met Helen Holly Maddox, who was a recent Bryn Mawr College graduate from Tyler, Texas. Only days after they met, Holly moved in with Einhorn, and the two began a tumultuous five-year relationship. Maddox was a bright, elegant young woman, and her sister described her as having, quote, the same kind of fragile beauty as Michelle Pfeiffer. She very quickly got swept up in Einhorn's charisma, but it didn't take long for the relationship to sour. Maddox's family never liked Einhorn. They found him rude and overbearing, and they sensed that he was bullying Maddox, and eventually she became fed up with him, too. In the early autumn of 1977, Maddox broke up with Einhorn and moved to New York, and Einhorn obviously didn't take this news well. He called her up in a rage, threatening to throw all of her belongings into the street if she didn't come back to his apartment to pick them up. So, on September 9th, 1977, Maddox returned to Einhorn's apartment to collect her things. But she was never seen again. Philadelphia police questioned Einhorn about her disappearance, and he claimed simply that she had gone out to the neighborhood co-op to buy some tofu and sprouts, and she never came back. Hmm, convenient. The Maddox family, growing frustrated over the lack of progress in the investigation, hired a private detective, and within months, the detective uncovered the shocking evidence that would expose Einhorn as a murderer. This detective, being suspicious of the ex-boyfriend, spoke to a student who lived in the apartment below Einhorn. The student was able to recall that one night in the fall of 1977, he had heard a blood-curdling scream that was accompanied by several loud bangs. And as time went on, the student noticed a reddish-brown foul-smelling liquid that was dripping down from the ceiling directly below Einhorn's apartment. When the landlord called plumbers to fix his leak, Einhorn refused to let them in to investigate the place the dripping was coming from, which was a padlocked closet near Einhorn's bedroom. Suspicious. The private detective passed this information along to the police, and finally, on March 28, 1979, Homicide detectives pried open Einhorn's padlocked closet, and they were met with a putrid smell, and they found Maddox's partially mummified body stuffed into a trunk. Alongside the trunk were various items, including styrofoam, air fresheners, and newspapers. After finding her body, a police officer reportedly said to Einhorn, quote, It looks like we found Holly, to which Einhorn reportedly replied, 
Quote, you found what you found. What a jackass. Einhorn was arrested for Maddox's murder, but he maintained his innocence. He even announced to his many followers that Maddox was murdered by the CIA as a government setup because Einhorn knew too much about their paranormal research. Right. Einhorn's lawyer, Arlen Spector, was able to negotiate a bail of $40,000 and Einhorn was released from custody after posting bond. His bond was paid by Barbara Bronfman, who is a Montreal socialite who married into the wealthy Bronfman family and met Einhorn through a shared interest in the paranormal. During Einhorn's fight, he was again aided by Bronfman, and she continued to support him financially until 1988, when she read a book about Einhorn called, quote, The Unicorn's Secret by Stephen Levy. In 1981, mere days before his murder trial was set to begin, Einhorn jumped bail and fled to Europe, where he successfully evaded capture for 17 years. Using the aliases Ben Moore and Eugene Mallon, Einhorn hid out in Ireland, the United Kingdom, and Sweden. Meanwhile, investigators interrogated Einhorn's friends in the U.S. about his whereabouts, and finally they made a breakthrough. Barbara became disillusioned with Einhorn after reading Stephen Levy's book about Einhorn. She promptly gave the Philadelphia DA's office the name of a wealthy Swedish woman, Annika Floden. When investigators tracked her down, she claimed to be Einhorn's landlady and nothing more. Liar. That's me. I'm saying it. <laughs> but investigators sensed that Einhorn had slipped away again, just one step ahead of them. Soon, Floden slipped away as well. Shocking. Suddenly abandoning her home and fleeing, make it in, making it impossible for investigators to reach her for further interrogation. Why are you running away if you're just his landlady, Floden? Hmm? Meanwhile, back in the United States, Einhorn was convicted in absentia for Maddox's murder in a 1993 trial, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Although Einhorn was not sentenced to death, his defense attorney argued that he would face the death penalty if he were returned to the United States. And in France, like many other countries that have abolished the death penalty, they would not extradite defendants to jurisdictions that retained the death penalty without assurance that it will be neither sought nor applied. Pennsylvania authorities pointed out that when the murder occurred, the state did not practice the death penalty, and so Einhorn could not be executed because the state and federal constitutions forbid ex post facto law. Einhorn's next strategy involved French law and the European Court of Human Rights, which required a new trial when the defendant was tried in absentia and unable to present his defense. On this basis, the Court of Appeals of Bordeaux rejected the extradition request. So he is trying to postpone his extradition as long as possible and trying any which way to do so. So following the court's decision, 35 members of Congress sent a letter to French President Jacques Jacques Serac to ask for Einhorn's extradition. However, under France's doctrine of the separation of powers, which was invoked in this case, the president cannot give orders to courts and does not intervene in extradition affairs. Therefore, in 1998, to secure Einhorn's extradition, the Pennsylvania legislature passed a bill, nicknamed the Einhorn Law, which allowed defendants convicted in absentia to request another trial. Then, in 1997, a Stockholm police 
contact managed to obtain Floden's social security number, and after running her name through the motor vehicle records in Sweden, learned that she had applied for a French driver's license in 1994. Notably, she had applied under the name Annika Floden Malin. In 1997, authorities were able to trace the address Floden had listed and arrive at a converted windmill in Champagne-Mouton, France. There they found the one and only unicorn Ira Einhorn. They soon learned that he and Floden were married, shocker, and that he had been living in France under the alias Eugene Malin. And finally, after 17 years, Einhorn was finally re-arrested. But because of complex extradition laws between France and the U.S., it was another several years before he was returned to the U.S. In the meantime, Einhorn relied on various legal avenues to slow down his extradition process while he continued to live mostly free in France, albeit under surveillance by the French police. In July of 2001, the Council of State, which is France's highest administrative body, announced an order that Ira Einhorn be extradited to the United States. France had agreed to return him on the grounds that Einhorn would be granted the chance to another trial, this time with him present. Finally, it seemed that Einhorn would face justice. But after he heard the news, Einhorn, who was sitting at home, cut his own throat with a knife, slightly delaying his departure even further. However, the wound seemed more of a delaying tactic than a genuine attempt to take his own life, and since Einhorn promptly invited a French television crew into his home for an interview, which he gave with blood still dripping down his front, only after the interview was over was he taken to the hospital. After a total of 23 years abroad, Einhorn was finally extradited to the United States, and 25 years after the murder of Holly Maddox, he finally stood trial. Taking the stand in his own defense, always a great idea, just best idea ever, you should always try it. Einhorn again touted his claim that the murder had been a government setup and also told the jurors he had a, quote, Virgo moon. The jury took all of two hours to find Einhorn guilty. On October 17, 2002, Einhorn once again was convicted of the murder of Holly Maddox, and the following day he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Philadelphia District Attorney Lynn Abrams summarized his conviction perfectly, saying, quote, Metaphorically speaking, Ira Einhorn and his Virgo moon are toast. Einhorn began serving his sentence at Pennsylvania State Correctional Institute, Houtsdale. In November 2006, Einhorn's sentence was unanimously affirmed by the Superior Court of Pennsylvania. Abraham was right. On April 3, 2020, Einhorn died in prison from natural causes at the age of 79. And that is the story of Ira Einhorn, the unicorn. He gives all unicorns a bad name, so I don't think that he should be allowed to use unicorns. you so much for taking the time to listen to champagne and murder please we really do appreciate each and every one of you i know i say it all the time but we really do we enjoy bringing the show to you every week and try our hardest to get it out on time you'll never find a less professional podcast than me you're welcome (laughs) but i hope you guys have a great weekend i hope you get to get out and enjoy the weather whatever it is wherever you are 
hope you remember to stay safe and don't take candy from strangers. Bye.